19. Loved in absentia. One of the weaknesses, as well as strengths, of the American character is its fondness for the underdog, the defeated, the distressed. The readiness of the United States to be generous to a defeated enemy, however foolishly at times, is proverbial. In its worst form, this characteristic becomes a self-hatred and sentimental and sick exultation of any loser, and in its better forms, a readiness to live in peace and with generosity towards a defeated rival. Perhaps nowhere has this characteristic been more in evidence than with respect to the American Indian. Of course, from the very beginning, the Indian was approached with a variety of misapprehensions. His very name, quote, Indian, unquote, represents the original belief that the New World was a part of India, and the natives were, therefore, Indians. Others soon saw him as, quote, the noble savage, unquote, unfallen, original man, uncorrupted by civilization. It was believed that he was far in advance of civilization by his pristine purity, by his very primitivism. Others believed that the Indians were the supposedly lost ten tribes of Israel. Columbus was perhaps partly in search of a new homeland for persecuted Jews, of which he was perhaps one. With Columbus as governor or viceroy of the new lands, it would be a good place to which to migrate away from persecution. It seems certain that Columbus assumed that there were Jews in India in his day, and our scant knowledge seems to confirm that this was the case. Columbus took with him Louis de Torres, a Hebrew-speaking interpreter who underwent baptism before Columbus sailed in order to be eligible for the expedition. Columbus clearly hoped to encounter Hebrew-speaking people either in Indian or in adjacent regions. Columbus repeatedly cited two texts from his favorite book of the Bible, Isaiah. Quote, Surely the isles shall wait for me and the ships of Tarshish first, to bring thy sons from far, their silver and their gold with them. Unquote. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 9. And, quote, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, unquote. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. His postmillennial hope was tied to a belief in the restoration of Israel. Although a royal decree barred Jews from the New World, a number settled in Spanish and Dutch possessions very early, many of them convinced that the Indians were a related people. Some scholars hold that Bishop de las Casas, the great friend and champion of the Indians, was a Jew a member of a family of conversos, or converted Jews. More than a few Spaniards believed that the Peruvians were of Jewish origin, and there are suggestions and evidence of Phoenician and Jewish influences in the American past. These ideas concerning Indians were later utilized by Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. Again, of late, we have seen fantastic ideas of the size of the Indian population by Wilbur R. Jacobs, writing in the January 1974 issue of William and Mary Quarterly. Earlier estimates of about 300,000 Indians in North America, exclusive of Mexico, were raised later to about a million. But Jacobs finds, quote, new evidence that indicated between 50 and 100 million Indians on the day that it was discovered, unquote. This would have made North America more densely populated than Europe. His evidence is based on estimates of the population of agricultural peoples of Mexico and the Caribbean, and projecting a like population onto the rest of the hemisphere, the fallacy here is in assuming that civilized people and primitive people increase in population at the same rate. The North American Indians lived very meagerly, mostly from hunting and some with a limited and primitive gardening. Conversation with Indians who lived prior to the coming of the white man to the West reveal that a band of half a dozen families required a hunting area of about a hundred miles to survive in the Intermountain region. Before the coming of the horse, survival was even more difficult. As the bands increased, they divided, and they killed off rival bands, sometimes of their own tribe, to survive. 
Some of the tribes, like the Western Pima, were peaceful. Others, like the Eastern Iroquois, were very warlike. The Iroquois and their ways are an instructive study of the problem faced by the early settlers. The Iroquois was used to battle, and enjoyed it. He wanted the white man's tools, guns, knives, blankets, liquor, and appliances. He liked proximity to the white settlement. Because of the cleared land and planted fields, game thrived the most there, and hunting was best where the white man lived. The white man wanted the Indian lands. He wanted Indian trade, because furs meant wealth. The city traders were pro-Indian. The frontiersman who suffered from Indian depredations was anti-Indian. The Indian, then and now, is hated in proximity and loved in absentia. His often backward ways are disliked by his neighbors, but his primitivism makes him romantic, from a distance. The Indian was culturally different. He was polygamous, at times a cannibal, given in some cases to human sacrifice, delighting in torture, sometimes regarded as a compliment to a worthy enemy, and culturally on a, quote, primitive, unquote, level. He could also be very generous at times, and kind, resourceful as an ally or a friend, and much more ready to change than is normally acknowledged. The great numbers of Indians who supposedly have been exterminated in actuality simply integrated and merged into American society, as the anthropologist John Greenway has pointed out. The surviving Indians of today are in some cases the reactionaries, those who refused to integrate. The white man and the Indian were alike unprepared for each other. Each bewildered the other. And each was greatly interested in the other because each obviously had certain advantages or abilities which could be used. The conflict of white and Indian has been documented at great length and with considerable emotionalism. Too seldom is the extensive cooperation and very great integration cited. The amount of Indian blood in the American population is very great, and it is there because religiously and culturally, Indian and white did unite to an extensive degree. Finally, the American Indian was himself in the remote past an immigrant to the Americas, from Asia and the South Pacific perhaps, and in some cases perhaps from Europe and North Africa. Various groups of Indians regularly warred to displace one another, including earlier arrivals. The Paiutes of Nevada, for instance, told stories of warring against an earlier pygmy people to possess their territories. Archaeology has confirmed the existence at one time in Nevada of a pygmy people. Author's Note since the Iroquois are so prominent in colonial history, especially in the New York area, the following two footnotes highlight books of interest. Alan W. Eckerd, Wilderness Empire. Boston, Little Brown and Co., 1969. Anthony F. C. Wallace, The Death and Rebirth of the Seneca. New York, Alfred A. Knupp, 1970.